Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Equanimity. To balance compassion and this prayer-like practice of wishing, may all beings be happy, may all beings be free from suffering. Sometimes when you do a lot of that wishing and that praying and that uh, there can develop a sense of failure of like, well, I've been praying for you. Why are you still suffering? I've been wishing, I've been sending you loving kindness. I've been sending you compassion. I've been forgiving you. How come it's not working? You ever feel that way? That sort of like, how come, you know, is it, is it working? And um, the Buddha said, we have to remember that everyone has their own karma. And that what we're doing is purifying our karma. We are training our heart, our mind to be compassionate. But your compassion isn't going to end someone else's suffering. They got to do that shit for themselves. No matter how kind, how loving, how generous, how forgiving and compassionate we become, we can't do anybody's work for them. And the equanimity, the chapter that we're on tonight, is this perspective and this understanding that everyone, we all have our own karma. We're all totally responsible for our own happiness. And just reflect on that for a moment. Do you feel totally responsible for your own happiness? One of the phrases that we use sometimes in the equanimity meditation is... Um, is this reminder that happiness or unhappiness does not depend on what's happening. It depends on how we are relating, how we are responding, how we are reacting to what's happening. My happiness or unhappiness does not depend on getting what I want or losing what I want, the, the kind of gain and loss. It's not, it doesn't have to dictate our happiness. How do we respond to gain and loss. Pleasure and pain, right? Usually, like when you're not, if you haven't trained your mind yet, when life is pleasant, you feel happy. <laughs> when life is painful, you feel miserable. Equanimity is understanding, oh, I can actually learn how to respond to pain, to loss, to difficulty in such a way that I remain balanced, that I remain at ease, that I remain Happy is probably the wrong word, but content. Free from suffering about the pain. Free from suffering about the loss, the difficulty that we're facing. So equanimity is this quality of training our mind to understand karmic responsibility. And if you really believed in, you know, really understood karma... Would it be a little bit different? Would you be a little less attached to the other people and how they're behaving? If you really say, oh, they're karmically responsible for all their actions. Would you be a bit more careful with your own actions? If you're really like, ooh, everything I say has karma in it. You really, everything I do, everything I intentionally think has karma. Karma being that there's a consequence that the positive 
actions have positive results. The negative actions have a negative reverberation, negative result. Looking at lion, thinking about PMA. And last week I talked about PMA too, the positive mental attitude. And it's such a cool thing to say, but it's so fucking hard to do. To really, because our minds are just not naturally positive. Is your mind naturally positive? Mine's not. Most human beings, we have a mind that tends to hate all the unpleasant stuff. <laughs> what Buddhism offers us is this training, this practice of learning to stay uh, in the positive karmic side of things. Kindness is positive. Compassion is positive. Forgiveness is positive. Generosity is positive which is totally counter-instinctual to how we're wired, which is greed, hatred, self-centered delusion. And so we're trying to develop this positive karmic response in each situation. And it's part of what we can do. Not by thinking about it, not by reading about it, but by meditating our asses off for a long period of time. Not a couple of weeks or a couple of months not even a couple of years, but over the decades of your meditation practice, <laughs> over the long period, you know, over the years and years of training your mind, you'll develop a more consistent ability to remain positive in the uh, midst of difficulties. So just one last thing before we jump into the meditation, then we're, we're going to talk about karma and equanimity in the talk. The core phrase is, traditional meditation phrase that we'll use tonight, is something like, all beings inherit. So, you know, like our heirs, inheritors, receive. All beings receive their own actions, their own karma. My wishes uh, for the happiness, the well-being of others will not make other people happy. Only their own actions. All beings are fully responsible for their own karma. So we include ourselves, our children, our loved ones, our parents, our community. And then outward in all directions, everyone's fully on the hook for how we behave, intentional actions. As a balancing to the compassion, because there's a, um, I was sitting, studying with a Tibetan Buddhist one teacher one time, uh, Sokni Rinpoche, and he said, um, you know, when it comes to, because the Tibetans put a lot of emphasis on compassion, I really appreciated that he said this, he said, uh, when you're developing compassion, make sure you're not developing idiot compassion. And, he, and then he divined true compassion is non-attached to the outcome, is just caring, is just loving, is just being willing to feel our pain, feel pain with someone else without being attached to it going away. He said, but idiot compassion is when you're attached, when you don't have equanimity to just be with reality as it is. And uh, maybe it's what we call codependency. 
where we're like attached to the outcome. I need your pain to go away. I need the I need justice in the world right now because I can't tolerate it. I can't just have compassion for it. Now I'm going to talk about justice in the world and, and social justice and the importance of compassion tonight, but also this perspective of being at ease in the midst of all of this injustice, being at ease in the midst of all of this ignorance, all of this pain, all of this confusion, and that meditation practice offers us the potential to be, to get there eventually. And, you know, like sort of all of Buddhism is like moment to moment. And then in the long run, <laughs> you can do it right now in this moment, and then you'll get better at stringing those moments together and being more consistently equanimous and compassionate over the years of your meditation practice. All right. So Again, welcome to Against the Stream and uh, find a way to sit that's upright and relaxed and we will do some meditation. As you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed, making any adjustments necessary to your posture. Find a way to sit that's upright, but also relaxed. Upright, but not uptight. So that the brow is soft, the jaw is released. Shoulders falling away from the ears. As you exhale, see if you can soften your torso, your chest, your neck, your belly. Letting go of tension, softening into the present. Spending a few minutes, just bring mindfulness to the breath. Mindfulness and a soft belly each time you exhale. Let go of the past as much as you can. Come fully into the present here, now. Let go of the future, all of the plans hopes and dreams, set them aside for now. Come back to this moment, sitting, breathing.
You don't have to stop your mind from thinking, but choose to disengage from the thought and come back to the breath. As we build a foundation of mindfulness, present time, non-judgmental awareness of your own body, breathing, mind thinking, heart beating, body breathing, put the focus on the breath, let everything else be in the background. Now bring to mind, engage your mind, reflect, think about, bring to mind somebody who you really care about, something that's easy to care about. 
perhaps visualize them, get a picture of them in your mind, just as though they're sitting in front of you. Sending them some of your love and kindness, your wishes for their happiness, easy to care about them. But also reflecting on the fact that just like you, they have difficulties, they have pain, they have loss. They have a human mind that is critical. So while we wish them loving kindness, also feeling some compassion for the suffering of your friend, your partner, your your loved one, whoever it is that you're thinking about. I care about you, I care about your pain. In your own heart and mind, sending them some compassion. Part of compassion is the willingness to feel each other's pain, not avoid it, but to feel with each other. And now bring in the equanimity, the understanding towards this loved one. Our kindness, our love, our compassion will not make them happy, will not end their suffering. Saying in your own heart, I care about you. And I also understand that your happiness or unhappiness depends upon your actions, not my wishes for you. I care about you and I know I can't make you happy. I'm here for support, for encouragement, but I understand that your happiness or unhappiness is a inside job, your responsibility. Keep softening the belly 
Anytime it gets tight, keep releasing your jaw. And then moving on from the loved one, the easy person to care about. Often we suffer about the people we care about. We get so attached. We cross over from true compassion into idiot compassion, clinging, controlling, fearing. Equanimity is the invitation back into your own heart and minds. Why is this response? I care about you. And I know I can't control you. Moving on to choose somebody here tonight, somebody that you don't know so well, not your close friends, but somebody that you've seen in the room or in the Zoom meeting. And understanding that just like you, they have their joys and sorrows. We all live with this human condition of craving and aversion and extend some kindness and some compassion to this stranger, this person you don't know so well. Sending them the wish for happiness. May you experience happiness. May you experience peace, ease, contentment. And then say to that person in your own heart, may you do what needs to be done to free yourself from suffering. May you continue this path of practice that will lead to the end of suffering, to freedom. This is a embodiment of the equanimity of understanding. We all have to do our own work, our own training of heart and mind, but encouraging each other to do so.
taking this understanding that all beings, our loved ones, ourselves, the people in the community here tonight, are all responsible for our own happiness. And that suffering is not created by what is happening, but how we respond to what's happening, beginning to extend this to the whole community. Bringing to mind all of your friends, loved ones, family, your sangha, your fellowship. We incline our heart towards compassion, towards love and service, generosity, kindness. And the generous heart is balanced by the equanimity of understanding. Everyone has to do their own awakening, purify their own karma. extending outward in all directions, thinking of all the human beings on this planet, billions. Every single one that is unenlightened having some suffering in their life. The first noble truth, the normal normalizing of suffering on this planet. We all experience it at times. And training your mind with the phrase, the happiness or unhappiness of others does not depend upon my wishes for them. All beings are heirs to their own karma. All beings have the ability to end suffering through their own effort.
All beings are heirs responsible for their own actions. Our happiness or unhappiness is based on how we respond to what's happening, not, not what's happening itself. Even if you don't understand this fully, you don't quite believe it yet, it's okay. Part of what we're doing in meditation is training the mind, developing wisdom. Through repetition of these phrases, we create neuropathways that will lead to equanimity, balance, well-being. No longer suffering about others. We learn to accept this world just as it is. Accept each other just as we are. Spending the last couple of minutes with these simple phrases, may all beings everywhere do what needs to be done to free themselves from the suffering they are experiencing, they are creating in their own lives. May all beings everywhere do what needs to be done to experience peace and ease, contentment and well-being. May all beings everywhere find the willingness to train their own minds with non-attachment and compassion, kindness and generosity, these experiences that lead to freedom.
And then just return to your own breath and body. Again, softening any places where there's resistance, tension, relaxing into your own discomfort. Accepting it as much as you can, just pain. When you're ready, allowing your eyes to open. Does the perspective make sense? Have compassion, but don't get attached. Understand that everyone's responsible for their own happiness. It's on one level, you know, and I'm gonna talk about this perspective has been misused a lot, misunderstood. Uh, but on one level, I hear it as quite, um, quite empowering because also what's being said here is that everyone has the ability to end their own suffering, to create their own happiness, their own freedom. This is the Buddha's like major empowerment. Everyone can get free from suffering. All living beings have the power, the potential, the ability to wake up. All of us can. but all of us have to do it for ourselves. <laughs> we all can, but none of us can do it for anybody else. You can't save anybody else. You know, in the, in the Buddha's time, there was, uh, you know, in the, in the Indian, the Hindu, uh, there, was, there was often, there's a lot of gurus and there was a whole tradition of like the gurus could heal you and they could transmit something to you and they could. And so people would come to the Buddha as the newest guru in town and be like, you know, give me give me a blessing. Give me a give me some good shit. And the Buddha was always like, can't. All I can give you is instructions. Here's how you can end suffering for yourself. I can't take away your attachment. I can't take away your aversion. I can't make you less self-centered. You have to do that. Here's the mindfulness instructions. Here's the compassion instructions. Here's the four noble truths in the Eightfold Path. Go do it. And you will end your own suffering if you apply this. But I can't do it for you. And you know, he said, I'm, I'm as enlightened as shit. I'm all the way there. I'm totally free. 
But my freedom isn't going to make you free. My recovery is not going to keep you sober. You got to do that. I'm here. I'm, you know, I'll be generous. I'll be compassionate. I'll be kind. I'll be present for you. I'll support you. But you got to do the work. I like it, right? Because it's, it's impact. You know, there it, it, on some level, it's like, ooh, I wish I could. Uh, I don't know how many of you are parents, but I know like my relationship to this teaching shifted a lot when I became a father. It's easier to be non-attached when you don't have offspring, I think. <laughs> um, although that's not true. A lot of people are super fucking attached that don't have offspring. But I know for myself, uh, once I had kids, I was like, oh, they're my responsibility. I got to like protect them and make them, you know. And then this teaching of, I can't protect my children. Ultimately, I can on, you know, rel on the relative levels, but I can't make them not cling. I can't make them not crave. I can't make them not be self-centered assholes. <laughs> Right? I can, you can't do that for anybody else. You can model all kinds of good things and you can encourage all kinds of good things and can pass on all your neurotic shit to them. <laughs> but you can't make your kids not be attached or craving for sugar or, you know, insecure about fitting in at school or all of that stuff that all of us have to walk through ourselves, including our children, including our closest, nearest, dearest. And so then equanimity practice gets real. Gets really like in, how do I show up in these relationships, in love, in connection, in compassion, without suffering about the reality that everyone we care about is going to keep suffering on one level or another until, you know, Till enlightenment, <laughs> the end of suffering. That is just what we're in. We're in this realm, this human realm, where it's, it's difficult. So I hope it makes sense to you. Um, I'm going to take equanimity from another angle. The chapter I go, I go off in the chapter about um, because part of what. Part of what's being said in Buddhism, I don't even love doing this talk, but I'm going to do it anyways, is that if karma is reality and we are all experiencing what we're experiencing based on our own karma, and you know this, then you have to get into re rebirth, reincarnation, that we're actually experiencing what we're experiencing based on the causes and conditions that we created. You know, that thing of like, you chose your parents, hard to swallow for a lot of us, but that your karma from past lifetimes brought you into that family. You had some karma to work out with those people. Now, I want to pause a minute and say, you don't have to believe this shit, but consider the possibility. You know, like consider the possibility that this is actually what's happening, that we're all actually playing out our own karma. Now, it's hard to, you know, because we don't remember our past lives. 
but you know, reflect on, I heard it. I remember the first time I heard this from a Dharma teacher and I fucking rejected it. They said, everything in this plane of existence is perfect and is happened. And, and not only that, but that we live in a just and lawful universe. And I was like, this doesn't feel like justice to me. Feels like a whole bunch of injustice. Feels like a whole bunch of oppression and ignorance and greed. Doesn't feel just. And they said, but consider, and I'm asking you to consider that if we've all been in this dance reincarnating for eons, and you, I mean, just look at history. Look at, you know, the history of war and all of the, uh, you know, age-old ignorance that's just been happening and passed down from generation to generation to generation. Of course, there's a lot of suffering. Of course, we're born into a world where there's a lot of oppression and ignorance because it's been like that for so long and it keeps perpetuating itself. And one of the Buddhist perspectives would be, you know, all of the, and this is where it's fucking dangerous, but bear with me. All of the people experiencing oppression in this lifetime were the oppressors in a past lifetime. And all of the people oppressing in this lifetime are creating a hell for themselves in their next lifetime all of the ignorance everywhere, right? If we're fully responsible for our own actions and our rebirth, if you believe in rebirth, is going to be based on how you show up and your sexism and your racism and your homophobia in this lifetime is going to dictate your next incarnation. Your craving, your clinging, your self-centeredness. Now, the Hindus the Indian uh, Brahmanistic tradition has misused this karmic teaching to justify oppression and to justify racism. The, you know, are you aware of the caste system where you know, it's, it's a racist culture and they justify it saying, hey, it's their karma. We, you know, it's their karma. We, we just, you know, we got the good karma. We were born as Brahmins. We we're born as men. It's good women. It's their karma. And so that's why I am so uh, hesitant to put it out there because it's been misused. Now, you can say it's their karma, but actually what's true is it's your karma if you don't do something about it. You can say, oh, you know, racism and oppression is happening because it's, no, it's your karma if you don't act against the systematic oppression and ignorance that exists in the world. Does that make sense? Rather than blaming, you know, even if that, using it as a lack of compassion, the Buddha puts emphasis on compassion. He says, care about each other care about pain, care about suffering. Don't use 
karma and reincarnation as a way to be cold-hearted and uncaring and, and greedy. Put the emphasis on compassion, but also understand that everything's happening based on the causes and conditions that preceded it. I, one of the, um, it doesn't really work this way, and I, I, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say some things that aren't totally true, so bear with me. But imagine, just as a thought exercise, imagine. Imagine that, um, you know, like factory farming and all of the animals that are tortured. And like, that's one of the things for me, I look at this, we're like justice, that's just all of the animals being tortured, not even talking about the human realm, just all of the humans torturing animals. How could that ever be okay? How could, it, how could any being deserve to be tortured in a, a factory farm? So imagine, this isn't how it works, but imagine that um, there was all of the Nazis, that there was all of the uh, whomever, the Khmer Rouge, the, uh, you know, all, you know, kind of people that spent their life killing, murdering, you know, greed, hatred, delusion. Imagine, uh, I think Nazi is a easy example that the you know if you were a nazi in your past lifetime maybe you're born into a factory farm in this lifetime if reincarnation like where where does the where do the nazis get reborn chicken coops factory farms i'm not saying that to justify eating at mcdonald's at all <laughs> but just if we're going to consider rebirth and karma and why are some beings born into things that to us look like this is terrible the the current you know, the, not only the caste system that continues to exist in india but the caste system that is the united states of america that continues to exist the systematic racism that we still live in, in. and this sort of if we just have a materialist perspective we're like how could this how is this fucking happening So we have to be quite careful not to use this to, I, I use the term acceptance in the end of the meditation. Acceptance does not mean complacency. Acceptance means it's like this right now, the reality that we live in is a world of oppression. We live in this world, animals, humans, the environment, being systematically oppressed and destroyed based on human greed, based on human hatred, ignorance. It's the reality, accepting this is where we live. The Buddha called it samsara, a realm of ignorance. Because that's true, compassionate action, working to free ourselves rather than uh, acceptance as in complacency, acceptance, it's like this, and it calls for a wise response. How can I be more kind, what, more uh, practice more generosity, more renunciation, not participating in uh, you know, intentional overt racism or sexism or homophobia or uh, environmental destruction of, or, or the factory farms or whatever it is of saying like, 
I care. I want to develop care. I, I get that I live in a world that doesn't care much, but I want to create a positive change. Using in the book, I characteristically am um, on my soapbox and I say, Using, a, using karma as justification for oppression is not much different than what some Christians did in the name of the Bible to rationalize slavery. Or what some fundamentalist Muslims do in the name of the Quran to justify the oppression of women. Or what some Japanese Buddhists did to justify at various times and in various wars, the invasion of Korea, China, the South Pacific, and the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Western religions have used God's will as their justification for gross ignorance and violent behavior for the last 2000 years. Hindus have been using a twisted version of karma to justify the oppression of the above mentioned caste system for more than 3000 years. And even Buddhists have done so. The Buddha did his best to be clear that karma and reincarnation intertwined as an integral part of his teaching are in no way on any level a justifiable reason to oppress. Quite the opposite. If we are all creating our destiny and our destiny depends totally on how we act in each moment, then anytime we cause harm, we are causing harm to ourselves. And karma includes not only our intentional actions, but also our intentional inaction. In other words, if we can help someone, but we choose not to, we are karmically responsible for the selfishness that stopped us from getting involved. Anytime you don't act in a compassionate way saying it was their karma, that's just a, as great a sin or negative karmic action as if you had been the oppressor yourself. This is the real deal. The Germans who knew what was going on in Nazi Germany and could have helped but chose not to because they were afraid of what would happen to them are karmically implicit in the death of the Jews. The white people in this nation who don't act as allies to the people of color who continue to be systematically oppressed by law enforcement and a socio-political system that is designed to keep the masses segregated are karmically implicit in the ignorance and its consequences. The Brahmin priest on the Ganges in India who won't touch or bless the untouchable caste will bear the fruit of his religiously justified racism. The Christian preacher who uses the Bible to justify his own homophobia and continues to mislead people about homosexuality being a choice and a sin will burn in a special kind of karmic hell created just for homophobes. You get the picture. There are no karma-free zones in this world. No one is exempt from full responsibility for all of their intentional actions or inactions. And no ignorance, and no, ignorance is not an excuse. No, being misinformed by your religion is not an excuse. In our hearts, we know that hurting any living beings is wrong, 
no matter no matter what our religion says there are no loopholes everyone is fully responsible for what we do What do you think? Do you feel fully responsible? I can feel a little, I feel like even saying it like it's a little overwhelming. Like, oh, well, then what the fuck am I supposed to do? <laughs> I want to help. I want to be a good person. But there's so much ignorance, so much confusion. I think a lot of us get a little stuck and like, what do I? How am I part of the solution? A lot of what we're doing in Buddhism is saying, I'm going to take responsibility from the inside outward, not just the social justice Instagram warriors who are meeting ignorance with hatred, but the internal development of compassion and forgiveness and love and tolerance from the inside that also becomes externalized acts of kindness and acceptance and friendliness and and at times speaking out against injustice even on instagram <laughs> but coming from a place of love and caring not a place of posturing and uh, looking for likes I want to open it up for conversation. What are your thoughts about all of this? Whether you're at home, I see, I think I have a hand raised, uh, or in the room, equanimity, balancing compassion, care, but don't cling. See this world as based in karma. All living beings have the power to free ourselves. Kay, do you have a question? Okay, I just, <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm, I'm putting it all together in my head, right? Okay, so um, we all are responsible for our own, our own karma. We've landed in a spot. We get aware. We landed in a spot from our past. We get aware, and through our awareness, we can right our own ship and be kinder, be compassionate, and start sending our next life into a, a better place. Okay. <clears throat> but the Nazi chicken <laughs> is not, you know, he's landed in a shitty spot. Uh, he is a Nazi chicken. He can't really ride his own ship because he's a chicken. So I, so I'm not part of the oppressive problem. I can still do my part to help the Nazi chicken, but I cannot get attached to the outcome of what happens to the Nazi chicken. Am I, am I on point? More yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you know, we can try not to get too attached and suffer at, you know, like the compassion that you care about the animals. Beautiful. But also seeing, uh, I think that this happens a lot from humans that don't understand the Dharma, 
uh, especially when it comes, they think like, well, this just is completely wrong. And that, that being is innocent. That's an innocent being, not taking into consideration that possibly um, that being created that incarnation for themselves in some way or another. Not, it's not, it doesn't really work the way that I'm saying. That's why I said it doesn't really, it's not like, well, you were a Nazi, now you're in a factory farm or, you know, like it doesn't quite work like that. But the, 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 the conditions that preceded this incarnation were created. So still have compassion. But yeah, and you said it like, but don't get attached. Yes, don't get attached, but also have the humility to be like, and I'm totally going to get attached over and over <laughs> and I'm going to let go and I'm going to try to be less and less attached. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Does it work for you? Does it yeah, make no, sense? No. It, it, it makes, it makes a lot of sense and I don't mean to belittle. Yeah. It, it, I just had to put it in very, very a simple sort of almost a list from my own brain. But it's also okay to tell Nazi chickens to fuck off sometimes. <laughs> That's good. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <sighs> Mocha, go ahead. Um, I like to practice and I've been practicing this a lot. And I, I believe that, uh, I believe that, uh, <clears throat> said, you know, with every action, there's a reaction, whether it's positive or negative. Um, and to the attachment part, I believe that, you know, it's, it's easier to say it than actually apply it, but just to let go and move on, have compassion, or let go and then move on. And that's what the worst outcome yeah. could be. Yeah. But if we hold on to those attachments or outcomes, yeah. you know, try to play the, the part of the outcome and uh, it never works out. Right? So. I mean, I, I, yes, what you're saying is the Dharma and um, just kind of reminding, and you said it easier said, you know, we all know like let go, but we're not wired to let go. Our mind, you know, you can tell your mind to let go and your mind tells you to go fuck yourself. Right. And it just repeats the craving and the clinging and the. So we have to train our mind, our hearts to let go. Non attachment is against our instinctual drive. Non attachment is a skill that we develop over the years of our meditation practice of turning towards seeing impermanence. Not because sometimes, uh, if we don't truly have an intimacy with impermanence and the, a non-attached acceptance, then our letting go can be like suppression. Like we're, we're putting it under the, I'm gonna just push that over there rather than letting it go means you have to really let it come through and feel it, feel the grief, feel the remorse, feel the whatever it is, the anger, the fear, and not cling to it. But letting go doesn't mean that we don't get to have to feel uh, the consequences of our karma, of our actions. Um, and I don't know if you've heard this from me before or not, but what you said was some, about, you know, at the end, at the end of this life, like, what do we have? And you said like integrity and um, there's a traditional Buddhist 
practice that many of us do every day. It's called the, the five daily reflections where you say, uh, I'm of the nature to sickness. I'm not exempt from sickness. I'm of the nature to die. I'm not exempt from death. I'm of the nature to age, not exempt from aging. This body keeps aging without my permission, <laughs> just keeps doing it. I'm subject to loss. Everything that I love, everything that I cling to, everything that I hold dear, going to lose it. Don't get to keep it. It's all impermanent. My only true possession is my karma. The only thing that we actually own, you don't get to take any of your stuff. You don't get to take any of your friends. You don't get reunited in heaven. It's all a story, right? You take your karma with you into the next lifetime, into the next existence. Now, I'm coming pretty hard with reincarnation perspective tonight. As I said before, you don't have to believe it. I don't totally believe it myself, to be honest. I, true story. I think it's probably true. And the reason I think it's probably true, I don't, I'm not like for sure this is what's happening here, but the Buddha wasn't wrong about anything else that I can tell. He was right about how mindfulness works. He was right about how we can develop compassion. I mean, I've verified in my own direct experience so much of what the guy taught by applying it. I'm like, he's, you know, he's, he hasn't sent me in the wrong direction yet. I don't know about rebirth, but he said it was what's happening here. I'm not big on blind faith. I'm not big on uh, philosophies that are comforting. But he, you know, I kind of feel like the Dharma is, you know, the alphabet, A, A to Z. And rebirth, reincarnation, this kind of you take your karma, you create your next is like X, Y, Z. Like, I don't know. I'm not there yet. I don't remember past lifetimes. I don't, I'm not there yet. But a through LMNOP or wherever I'm at in the, is true. I know it's true because I experience it. So I've got some confidence that he probably wasn't lying about this. Some Buddhists who say uh, that want to reject reincarnation, they say it was a Hindu teaching. Like, yeah, but the Buddha rejected a lot of the Hindu teachings that he didn't like. So why would he bring this one along if he didn't think, oh, well, they were right about this? Please, Mark. A uh, question. I don't know if this is a silly question or not. Uh, um, so go back to the Nazi chicken. Um, so after generations and generations of karma that's led him to the, the Nazi chickens. Like how would the chicken try to reverse that? Is it just an eternity of being a Nazi chicken? Like it'd be hard for that to turn around karma. Right. Um, could you hear the question at home? Let me repeat it. We're still talking about the Nazi chicken <laughs> who it's my fault. I, I'll take the blame. It's my karma. Um, and this is a great question. It's really important, which is, uh, okay, so somebody has, in, from their own past lifetimes, created this reincarnation into this hell realm of the factory farm, the uh, whatever it is that's going on. How Can they get out? The answer is yes. Karma is 
um, you know, so we're in this realm of impermanence. And, you know, we progress from lifetime to lifetime through some sorrow that is called the, the realm of, of wandering from realm to realm. And there's six different realms that you can reincarnate on based on your own actions. So the human realm is one. We're all temporarily human beings. But based on your actions, you can regress into hell realms, hungry ghost realms, or um, animal realms. They're considered lower incarnations. Lower hell realms because it fucking hurts. Hungry ghost realms, constant craving. You know, hungry ghost realm is the experience of being an addict, constant craving. Animal realms, there's like, um, you know, you're in the food chain and you're getting murdered all the time and you're, you know, uh, afraid for, you know, what, even if you don't end up in a factory farm just out in the, the wild, somebody's going to eat you and you got to eat somebody and, you know. Um, and then there's uh, jealous God realms and heaven realms. So based on our own actions from this cosmology, you can take birth in these, but you, it's, uh, it's not, uh, eternal. It's temporary. It's just a birth. So that the Nazi chicken does his time. Maybe he's burned off that karma and he gets another shot back in a, in another realm, human birth. I burned it off. I did my 10 incarnations in the animal realm. And now I have the opportunity to be born into a human realm. Hopefully where I'll learn the Dharma, hopefully where I'll suffer enough. Now this is right? Suffer enough, a human birth where we suffer enough to motivate us to develop compassion and wisdom. Because if you have two, this is what the heaven realms are. Those, those, those lives where it's like, it's too easy. It's so pleasant and easy and heaven-like that you never develop any wisdom because you just are able to satisfy all of your desires all of the time. So actually it's a blessing to have some suffering. It's the uh, phenomena of the grateful alcoholic, right? I'm grateful that I'm an addict. I'm grateful that I'm an alcoholic because it kicked my ass enough to motivate me to meditate. And then meditation changed my whole life. Recovery changed my whole life. But if I had had one of those incarnations where I didn't suffer enough to take on a serious spiritual practice, I'd be part of the brain dead masses out there, you know, being a consumer. And I'm glad that I suffered enough to pop myself out of the matrix and do some fucking work on ourselves. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, you can then, you do your time. Even if you send yourself to hell from the, your incarnation, you know, and you really like, you don't purify your karma, you got to go do some time in hell. It's temporary. It's not like the Christian hell. It's not the eternalist. You go there forever. You got to go do a bid. And then you get out and you get another chance. You know, the Buddha is super into like uh, second chances and reconciliation. And even if you are a Nazi, you got you know, you're going to have the karma for that, but you'll get another chance. We'll accept you back into the Sangha. We'll accept you back into the human realm. not forever ostracized. There was a question online about, um, you think, did I answer it, Tibby? Um, you, about the, um, how in the West we think of the self is 
what of us is incarnated or reincarnated? Do you wanna speak more to it? Go ahead and unmute yourself. Thanks. Yeah, I can understand how, I really struggle with this concept, right? So I can understand how my actions go on forever, right? They go, my action goes through another person that keeps going on, Yeah. right? But I can't, and I can accept incarnation as that. Yeah. But I need to know from you, like, what of ourselves, like, when you're talking about, like, the Nazi chickens, which, which aren't, right, <laughs> which aren't fucking funny, but when you're talking about that, it's this concept, like, that it's a permanent self, right? Like, so what of ourself? Um, could you guys hear? In here? Yeah. What part of ourself reincarnates? Uh, it's just our karma. It's not our self. It's just your, you know, the accumulation of your actions that that continues. Um, and it's not, and here's the thing, it's not permanent. Actually, when you purify your karma, no, you know, the, the definition of enlightenment in Buddhism is that you enter the deathless. If you don't get free in this lifetime and you still have karmic momentum and clinging and aversion, then you come back, you get another chance. And you come back over and over, you keep coming back <laughs> until you free yourself from clinging and aversion and self-centeredness. If you don't free yourself, you, you come back. But when you free yourself, when you practice mindfulness and you develop non-attachment and, and wisdom, the definition of the Buddha's third noble truth, Nibbana, is you enter the deathless state. You stop the cycle of rebirth. And so that self, that, uh, that karma is extinguished. The definition of Nibbana, Nirvana, what we call Nirvana, is extinguishing greed, hatred, and delusion. The only thing that is reborn is your greed, hatred, and delusion. When you don't have greed, hatred, and delusion, you don't keep coming back. Does that make sense, Tibby? I'm going to think about it. Okay. <laughs> um, Erica, and then I'll take the hand in the room. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, thank you uh, for that. I am a recovering addict, so I feel like I did live in my own hell um, and got the chance for enlightenment through meditation and um, practicing um, the Buddhist uh, traditions, but I kind of wanted to hear your take on, because I think with true compassion to me is also um, really becoming humble and understanding humility. And I think a lot of people have different definitions of what they believe to be humility, you know, what they believe humility as, and I'd be interested to hear your take on that. I would mostly... Um think of humility as not taking our own ego so personally. I don't think, I, th I think sometimes humility and, and in recovery, there's like some like ego in spiritual circles. There's this like destroy your ego and just, you know, destroy the self and be humble and selfless. And uh, my, my, my feeling is that the Buddhist teaching is like, you know, that you just have this ego. He calls it Mara. And uh, you just learn to not take it so personal, not be so inflated by it or deflated, right? Like low self-esteem, self-hatred is as big of an ego trip as uh, arrogance is, right? It's still that sort of I, me, mine, I'm unworthy, 
right? There's, uh, there's nothing more self-centered than somebody who hates themselves. <laughs> I hate myself so much. It's all about me all of the time. And so the humility is learning to not take our minds and, and that ego part of the mind this, uh, so personally and just seeing it as an impersonal function of this uh, biological process of being, biological, psychological, uh, and, and the kind of attitude of like, of course, oh yeah, of course I get attached and having some humility about that. And of course I get aversive and having some humility about that. And of course my mind gets really inflated when I get the right kind of intention, attention. And of course I get my, you know, my ego, my mind gets really deflated when I don't get the right, or I get the wrong kind of attention or the criticism or the, um, I don't know if this helps or works, but I, I, I want to throw it in. One of the ways that the Buddha talked about equanimity is he said, you know, there's these eight vicissitudes of life that no matter what you're going to have to deal with, pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame, uh, fame and disrepute, or, you know, good reputation, bad reputation. Uh, and that even if you do everything right, you're still going to have pain, you're still going to have loss, you're still going to be have disrepute and, and blame. Like for sure, even with the highest integrity, and you look at, I think, you know, the Buddha, the highest integrity was hated, was accused, was blamed, was judged. People despised the Buddha because he was against racism. He was against sexism. He was, you know, teaching people that they didn't need to believe in a higher power to get sober. <laughs> he did not like the dude at all, right? Like he said, you know, you can do this based in your own efforts. And he, you know, uh, he said, you know, it's just the way it is. If in this world, the humility is rolling with it. Sometimes some people love you, praise feels better than blame, but you got to deal with the blame. Pleasure feels way better than pain, but you got to deal with the pain. Pain is unavoidable. Uh, you know, gain, depending on what you're gaining, if you want it, it's great. Lost, not so pleasant. We have to deal with all of the unpleasantness and that humility of none of us get just pleasure, praise, gain, and fame. None of us. It's impossible to just get the good shit and avoid the bad shit. And this is the whole teaching. Our happiness doesn't depend on what's happening. It's not just when things are going good. It's how you're responding to what's happening and having the humility to be like, yep, pain again, loss again, criticism again. Okay, taking it all. Rather than that shouldn't be happening to me. Don't you know who I think I am? Right? Which the mind does all by itself, that self-centeredness. Does that make sense to you? Does that help? Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Good to see you. Uh, you where, where's the hand in the back? Uh, you know, the thinking about uh, you have this talk where, where you have the students say about unconditional love is not unconditional relationship. And then we're talking about having compassion for those that are responsible for their own karma and having equanimity towards the outcome. But then you have these like deep relationships with people that love unconditionally. 
see them suffering because they feel like you know they're not happy, but they're always externalizing it, thinking it's they're blaming it on other things, you know, and then it creates this like toxic environment to be around. Yet you love these people, you don't want to blame it on them. So, what is the like? What is the breaking point? Where where do you say enough is enough? Right. I'll try to repeat it for the folks at home. He was referring to um, teaching that I often give about how, uh, you know, we can develop this unconditional love and um, kindness and compassion, but that also uh, we need some boundaries that uh, relationships shouldn't be unconditional. If somebody's, I hate to use the word toxic because it's so over, but if somebody's just really unskillful and really unkind and dishonest, abusive, and in, in whatever way, at what point, where's the breaking point? At what point do we say, hey, these can, you know, because there's a danger here of, of if you have idiot compassion, if you're so compassionate that you become a doormat and you're like, yeah, it's okay. Like I'm totally not taking any of this personal, but you keep hurting me. You know, you keep, keep lying and cheating and stealing and, at what point do we put the boundary down? And I, don't, I can't answer it, of course. I can't say, well, when it happens 17 times, that's when. You know, keep track. You know, 16 acts of dishonesty, you can tolerate the 17th, that's it, right? I can't, like, I can't answer the question. But it's a very important question for each one of us to, uh, just to know that, maybe you've probably in the talk you're referring to, it changed for me some when I realized, even if I can tolerate it because of my own practice and I can, that actually I'm enabling them if I stay in it for too long. I'm enabling them to continue to harm themselves, their karma, even if I can sort of take it, still it's not good. Sometimes it's the best thing for that person to say, we're done. Now, it's one of the reasons why the Buddha puts so much emphasis on Sangha, develop relationship with other people, fellowship, community, people who are trying to practice. Now, it doesn't mean that our Sanghas aren't super dysfunctional sometimes, and there's a bunch of lying and cheating and stealing that happens here too. <laughs> but at least you would hope that in Buddhist Sanghas or recovery communities, that at least people have some tools and are fucking trying. And so the Buddha put a lot of emphasis on like, find the other people to walk this path with that are trying to live with integrity, that are trying, that are, have the five precepts, have the mindfulness, the compassion, the forgiveness practices, because you got a better bet, better chance of some healthy relationships with people on a path than with the, uh, what he referred to, and I love this, the untrained worldlings right? The people who are looking to the material world for all of their happiness and aren't doing any internal work and are trying to keep you hostage for, you, you know, you make me happy. And of course, like we can't. Hope that's helpful. Uh, we are out of time. Last one, Skylar. Did the Buddha have any specific, like, 
like recommended courses of action in order to correct your karma? Because obviously, like you know, you can take those truths and protests, you can fight for you know justice. If you just be unconditionally compassionate. But for me, it's like if I take it too far with, <laughs> you know, like uh, that mentality, I just don't want to take it too far and like become angry, you know. So maybe was there any preferred or recommended behavior that he uh, faced? Could you guys hear the question at home or should I repeat it? Repeat? Okay. Um the question is, is was, the, is, was there any uh, sort of specific preferred action, you know, in order to purify our karma and coming from a place I hear it in you of like, I, I'm in, I want to do it. How do I do it? What's the best way to do it, right? <laughs> like, how do I, I want to purify my karma. I want to be part of the solution. I want to, you know, do I, how much taking to the streets and protest is uh, the right thing to do. And some, sometimes it absolutely is the right thing to do. But if you, when you take the, to the streets and protests, right? When you're in, in a tense activism, can you go as a mindfulness practice? Can you go saying loving kindness the whole time to the cops that you're protesting against? You know, so that you're going out there and you're really embodying the Dharma with compassion, with loving kindness, both for the, you know, whatever cause, you know, whether you're, uh, you know, Kay was asking about, like, if you're at the uh, factory farm and you're protesting there, sending loving kindness, compassion to the animals, but also to the drivers that are bringing the animals in. If you're in the streets, you know, for a Black Lives Matter protest or a woman, you know, like whatever it is that you're doing, using that as training. Okay, I'm out here. I care. I want to be part of this. I'm going to do loving kindness the whole fucking time because it's so easy to slip into hatred and to, it's so easy to slip into judgment and so easy to slip into creating suffering rather than what you're really there for, which is I want to be compassionately engaged against ignorance. I don't want to be meeting. I don't want to be embodying ignorance. I hate hatred. <laughs> I want to fucking kill the killers, <laughs> you know? And so we know that that's not the way to go. So, and the answer is no, he didn't give any kind of specific. He said, live by the five precepts. Be rigorously honest. You'll purify your karma from your dishonesty. Be um, careful with your sexuality. You'll purify the karma from the times you weren't careful. Be uh, abstinent from drugs. It's one of the reasons why Buddhism is a sober spiritual path. Because as soon as you put a drug and alcohol into your mind, you're more likely to create some negative karma. So just not drinking and using is going to give you a better chance at creating positive karma. Um, you know, the story of Angulimala was a, a mass murderer in the time of the Buddha, and he lived by the precepts of the monk. And he dedicated his, his life to just living in integrity after having murdered a whole bunch of people. And the story goes, he purified his karma from the level of renunciation that he practiced for the rest of his life. And he you know, wasn't an out active, you know, saving anybody. He was just 
purifying his internal karma and being a monk and being of service in the way that monks are. But he was able to do it in that lifetime. And his karma was way worse than ours in that lifetime. Now, I'm going to end with that because I talked all this shit about reincarnation. And, but the core teaching of the Buddha is that no matter what our karma is, we have the ability to free ourselves from it in this lifetime. This is the teaching. You don't have to take any more rebirths. You can be done if you want to be done. You want to be done? Or are you kind of attached and you sort of want to keep coming back? <laughs> then you got to go hang out with the Tibetans and take the Bodhisattva vow. A little bit of attachment. But if you really want to be done, you can be done this lifetime if you work your ass off for it. We'll leave it there. Give us your money. Donations accepted. Um, there's a bowl on the desk if you're here. If you're at home, there's a link in the um, chat. We do ask for a $15 donation to support the nonprofit to pay the rent on the meditation center. If you can give $15, please do. If you want to give more, you're welcome to give more. If you can't afford it, you're always welcome to be here, whether you have money to give to us or not. Um, but it's good karma to give. So, you know, <laughs> consider it. And um, I think next week is my last, am I on the last chapter? Oh, Tonglen next week. No, we have a couple more chapters. Tonglen next week, one of my favorite, breathing in the suffering of the whole world, breathing out compassion for the whole world. So come back next week. Um, there's about 20 people in the room tonight. There's room for a few more people. Come on down if you want to. Uh, remember to put your masks on when you are standing up and walking around in the room. And um, may any goodness that comes from our practice be shared with all beings in all directions. I have a day long on May 22nd. You can register on the website. We're going to do a full day of sitting and walking practice. Uh, you can come in person or I'll, we'll also do it online. Um, register, join us. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.